Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you've been around Oasis uh, for a, a few years, you'll know that in 2019 through to 2020, we started a series in the book of John. Now at this point, we're not now pressing play uh, to continue where we kind of stopped in March 2020, but rather we're gonna look at it through a lens of Jesus's invitation in John 10:10, where he says that he's come to bring life to you and to me, uh, whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching at a different point, whether we know something of Jesus, when we think we know nothing of Jesus, that he's come in order that we could know life and life in full. And it's that that we want to look at because as we continue in the book of John, what we're going to discover is John begins to paint a picture of what that life in full looks like. The reading is taken from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 36. The next day, The great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. Just as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they'd heard that he'd given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this reason I came 
to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. But the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. Hopefully get to know you as we go on this morning. Um, yeah, massive welcome, whether you're online, upstairs, downstairs, behind. I don't know if you're hidden somewhere in the room. You're very, very welcome. Um, as Rich said, we're looking at this amazing account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection uh, written by John. And we're doing it through a lens of Jesus' invitation in John 10.10, 10, to come and know life in full. And today, as we get to examine this scripture that Carol so wonderfully read out to us, I want us to see that this life in full is about living with the king. It's about life with the king. You see, this account John writes, uh, he does something, he kind of uses it as moments, and there's so much we could look at. And to be honest, if we tried to, we'd be here till next Sunday. Uh, and so there you go. You can just keep going over this, uh, these verses to kind of see what you get from it. But in it, there's this moment where Jesus kind of refers to something. He says, hey, the hour has come. Like, if you've read the book of John, you'll know that in chapter 2, he kind of talks to his mom and says, like, like my, my hour, the hour has not yet come. And he's like pointing, and there's this kind of motif that goes through uh, the account, whereas this hour has not yet come. And yet in this moment, Jesus suddenly reveals the hour has come. And the hour that's come is a moment that's going to be about his death and resurrection, but a moment that reveals through his death and resurrection that he truly is the king that is needed. And John, therefore, uses these verses to reveal something about the king. He does it to reveal that Jesus is about to be enthroned as a king in a way that no one would have imagined. Kind of starts off with this kind of victorious parade, triumphal entry into the city where people are declaring him as king. And yet John says, oh no, no this isn't the way he's going to be made king. 
Like through the account, he points to the fact that Jesus is going to be made king. His enthronement is going to happen in the most unusual of ways. It's going to happen through him being lifted up on a cross, through him dying. And at that point, he takes on his throne to reveal that he really truly is the king. Like a king like no other. And what John does, as well as saying, hey, this is what this is all pointing to of how Jesus is going to be made and revealed as king, he then uses these verses to reveal the kind of king that Jesus is. And it's that that I want us to zoom in on. I want us to look and wonder and allow Jesus as king to fill our gaze. Maybe we've never thought of that concept before. Maybe we've lived knowing that Jesus is king and it's today is a moment of just having that refreshed to us in order that we reveal, have it revealed again of just the wonder of what it means that Jesus is the king. That Jesus is your king. Jesus is my king. Jesus desires to be all's king. See, I think and believe that Jesus as king is good news. He's a king that is good news. I don't know how your heart's doing at the moment, but I find myself feeling quite sick by just what I see portrayed in the world around me. Where you come into connection of moments of those who are in authority and you think, I, I don't think it's meant to be like this. Like, I don't know, maybe it's like Downing Street parties. And at this point, I'm not making political points. I'm just saying, I wonder if these moments do something to our heart when it comes to authority. Maybe it's not Downing Street parties. Maybe it's institutional corruption that we see kind of portrayed through the news. And we think, no, no, those people in authority aren't going to kind of act like that. They're going to protect us. Maybe it's the leadership we know in our workplaces and we just think, man, the environment here just seems to be toxic. Unfortunately, it can also be in terms of the leadership we can experience within the church. We can find that actually the authority that we see played out, it like, just seems to be something that seeks to oppress, seeks to live for its own means. Like I've just finished a desperate podcasts, which I'm not going to name, um, but it's one that I got to the end of, and it revealing just how fragile and how failing sometimes leadership can be within the church. And I just found myself weeping often of just the damage and hurt that humans can do to other humans. Like maybe we're in the room and we're kind of just clinging on, thinking, man, I've just come around a church community because I thought, like, I don't know if I can still be around this because the authority I've seen just isn't what I thought it was meant to be. My hope is this morning that as we see the world around, that actually we savor the wonder of who Jesus is as king. Because I know for me personally, as I've sought this week just to keep allowing him to fill my gaze, it's become a tonic to my heart, a tonic to my soul that's just done me so much good because it's allowed me to realize that Jesus, you offer a better way. 
Jesus, you truly are the king that provides light and wonder to the world around. Jesus, you truly are the king that is good news. Jesus, you truly are the king that comes to restore those of us that are broken where we've seen authority play out, how it should never have been played out. See, what I want us to see is that Jesus as king is one who's gentle and lowly, one who offers all, one who understands, one who is for all. And that as we come to see more of Jesus King like that, it allows us to understand how we then get to live a life with him as King and how that enables us within our circumstances to know life in full. So firstly then, a King who is gentle and lowly In 1415, John writes, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Like, you have this moment, a moment that will be familiar to many of us of what we celebrate normally on Palm Sunday of the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city where he kind of looks like a victorious king, And yet his mode of transport doesn't seem to add up. Like a a victorious king is one who's kind of like going to come with a fanfare, like a big stallion, or maybe in our day and age, like an entourage, like maybe being carried in the air, like a king, king, king. And yet we find here that Jesus is on like a baby donkey, like a place of weakness and vulnerability. And what I love about the authenticity of John's account, he said, like, like, we didn't have a clue what was going on. We were like, why are, you wearing a don- why are you riding a donkey? But then after his resurrection, suddenly we started to see things differently. Suddenly we realized that actually this moment where Jesus enters this city with all of this noise on a donkey was fulfilling a promise that was there in Zechariah. So John quotes it, Zechariah 9, 9 to 10, where it talks about this king that comes, comes not to conquer, but comes in gentleness and lowliness to bring peace. Therefore, do not be afraid. Like, what a king. A king that doesn't come for conquest, but rather comes to liberate us. A king that describes himself as gentle and lowly. Like, how often do we experience those in authority say, oh yeah, I'm gentle and lowly. That's what Jesus says. Like, he's the king who is gentle and lowly, where later, in a different account, in Matthew, he would say that actually this one Quoting Isaiah is one who a bruised reed he will not break or a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That's who this king is, who's gentle and lowly. Like you feel fragile, he knows how to handle you. Like you feel broken, he knows how to handle you. Like how good a news is that? Like one who won't crush us the one who knows how to handle us. Like elsewhere, Jesus describes himself, again in the account of Matthew, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, as one who is gentle and lowly, who is seeking to cause us to know that we can be yoked to him, 
And in being yoked to him, we then get to know our burdens and our weights that weigh us down, lifted in order that we can know his lightness and live from a place of rest. Like a king who comes, who is lowly and gentle, who longs to bring you and I lightness, who longs to cause us to live from a place of rest, who knows how to handle us in our fragility. That's enough. I'm like in. Like, I want that kind of king. I want a king who's gentle and lowly, who isn't looking to crush me. That's good news, isn't it? Yet John continues, now this king is one who offers all. Verse 24, he writes, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. This is like a weird moment. Like Jesus has some of his friends, his disciples come to him and say, hey, there's these Greek individuals who want to speak to you. And Jesus kind of then said, oh, oh, they're here. Oh, now the hour's come. And then having said the hour has come, he then tells this story. He says, hey, like a kernel of wheat that's buried in the ground needs to die in order to bring a harvest. Are you like, like, what? Like the normal way to deal with that is like, oh, hello, people from who are Greek background, very nice to meet you. That's the normal way to relate, but Jesus is using this moment to reveal something of the wonder of who he is and the kind of king he is. So he uses a timeless illustration. That kernel of wheat, a seed of wheat, something that we could just benefit from that little seed. Could be ground. Won't produce much, but it could be ground. He says, oh no, Now, if you bury it, and then it dies, what it does in dying is it gives birth to a harvest, something that reproduces itself. And then Jesus says, oh, but I'm not talking about plants. I'm talking about me, because this is about a harvest of many new lives. See, Jesus is the kind of king who offers all of who he is in order that we can receive life. That Jesus is pointing to the fact that in his death, him dying will bring you and I life. That's the kind of king he is, willing to offer all in order that we can gain all. Like Jesus then goes on to describe what this death will mean. Is it will mean liberation. It will mean liberation for us because we can know freedom from the power of sin, our self-centeredness that can cause us to continuously seek to live outside of God's best. He then says, oh, it's also going to defeat the one who's seeking to usurp God of his authority, the devil. And he says, oh, and it's also going to destroy death. Jesus says, this is what my death will do. It will liberate you to know freedom from these things in order that you can be liberated to be free to know life and life eternal with me. And he says, like, this life eternal moment, this moment where I die, like, that's the moment where I'll be glorified. Isn't that true, Father? And then there's this moment where everyone thinks, is that thunder? 
Or what was that? And it's like, Jesus is like, no, no, it's for your benefit. As the Father declares, yet as I have glorified myself, so I will again through Jesus' death. See, there's this profound moment that as Jesus offers all, it becomes the moment of his glory. As he dies on a cross, that place of weakness, vulnerability, of shame, it's there that we discover Jesus is enthroned as king. It's there that we see that the God, of, the God of the Old Testament is revealed in all his glory. That's why the Father says, is there at the death that Jesus, you'll be glorified, that I too will be glorified in this moment, that people will see my glory through the death of my son. Because in the glory, we see the heart of who God is. Remember when we were in Jonah and we like, were looking at that book of Jonah and we kept having these moments of having to be pointed back to who God is, a God of unfailing love who revealed himself to a man called Moses, who was leading God's people in the desert and just getting like fed up of all of their stuff and how kind of temporal and how kind of continuously like they're before God one minute and then against God the next. And Moses just is like, God, I, I just need strength to keep doing this. Can I see your glory? In Exodus 34, it describes the moment in verse 6 where Moses sees the glory of God. And what he sees is God pass and then God declares something about himself in revealing the wonder of who he is. And it says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The glory hasn't changed. Like when Jesus is hung on the cross, in that moment, the glory is revealed because in that moment, the king is revealed. As what? As the one who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in unfailing love and faithfulness. That's who that king is. That's who our king is, Jesus one who, when we look to the cross, we see his unfailing love. It's that king who offers all in order that we then be able to have and receive a life, a life eternal with him, but a life that is characterized by his unfailing love towards you and towards me. But he's also the king who understands. In verse 27, it says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Within all the moments of individuals being shown in authority and who knows what other photos and videos are going to come out in the next couple of weeks, there's one moment that actually everyone talks about. There's a moment where an elderly lady grieves her husband at his funeral and sits by herself. The image of the queen at her husband's funeral why did that affect everyone so much? Because suddenly, this one who seems beyond us, someone who has authority, was just like us. Understood like the suffering that others had felt. 
understood the funerals that others had been to where they too had to sit alone rather than having friends and family around them. See, Jesus is a king who understands. When it says that now my soul is deeply troubled, John is wanting us to understand the wonder of who Jesus is. Because in this moment, he's not hiding away the sorrow that Jesus feels as he encounters and looks towards his death. In actual fact, if we were to continue to read um, chapter 12 of John, we'd discover that John starts to point us to Isaiah 53 to describe the wonder of who Jesus is. And what you discover in Isaiah 53 is how this king, who's a servant, is described there. In verse 3, is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Do we contemplate that often? A different translation is that Jesus is one who knew sorrow and was familiar with suffering. Like, in three chapters' time, we're going to discover this is the same Jesus who is full of joy and wants our lives to be characterized by his joy in terms, in respect to them, then overflowing with his joy. He is one who's full of joy. He's also one who is familiar with suffering and sorrow. And for me, that changes how I can relate within my life to who Jesus is as king. Because, yeah, I want to know moments of joy, but I also know moments of suffering. I also know moments of sorrow. And what I realize is I have a king who understands. I have a king who has walked my walk, who is familiar with suffering, who is an acquaintance with grief, who knows sorrow. Like I was talking to someone the other day and they were just saying how, like in that moment when you're talking with someone and then you just say like how you're doing and that person just in how they kind of react to how you're doing, maybe they share something of their story, maybe they just say something that just says, like I, I can, I see that and that is painful. Like that moment of feeling understood brings both a sense of connection but a sense of comfort. Like a king who understands, like does that? Like Jesus as king is one who comes and understands our situation. That in our suffering, in our grief, like Jesus isn't like distant from that. He comes into it and spends time with us there and says, I understand. And knowing that king brings comfort. But Jesus as king isn't just gentle and lowly, doesn't just offer all, doesn't just understand. He's also one who is a king for all. In verse 32 it says, And when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus is a king who loves all and wants to draw all to himself.
that includes you. And it includes me. And it includes everyone we come into contact with. The people we think we like, and the people we think, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time with them. Jesus is like, no, I want to draw them to myself. And you see, the language he uses here, when he was lifted up. Now, John kind of allows us and says, hey, just so you know, when he's saying, when I'm lifted up, he's talking about his crucifixion. But there's also this breadcrumbs moment that's there as well, that's pointing to another moment within Scripture of a lifting up that allows us to understand what's happening this moment of Jesus being lifted up. A lifting up that happens in Numbers 21, where Moses is told to fashion this uh, bronze snake. It's a weird moment. People of God are in rebellion, have done some dumb stuff. They're suffering. And to rescue them, Moses has to lift up this bronze snake, and then everyone who looks up to this lifted up bronze snake is healed and finds life. And it was to foreshadow the greater lifting up, the lifting up of Jesus, the king, in order that anyone and everyone who looks to him would what? Be healed and know life. Jesus is a king for all. Therefore, We're invited to know a life with the king. Verse 26, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the father will honor anyone who serves me. See, the wonder of who Jesus is as king, which as I've reflected on this last week as one who is gentle and lowly, one who offers all, one who understands, one who is seeking to draw all in. It's just been a tonic. It really has to the world around. I've just realizing, man, this is my king. And I want to live more with him at the center. And Jesus, therefore, says, well, if you're going to live a life with me as king, then there's implications to that. Firstly, we have to receive him as king. We have to realize, actually, Jesus, you are the one that I need. You're offering me the life that I long for. Secondly, that in receiving him as king, we're then told, well, we live as he lived. That as he offered all, so do we. We seek to live lives that offer all to him, saying, actually, I want you to be at the very center of my life. Not what I want or what I'm living for. You, Jesus, as king. Therefore, I die to myself in order that I can live for you. Like seeking to live with Jesus' rule and reign being the thing that governs everything about who we are and what we reveal to others. That's not a chore. Because of the kind of king he is. He's not one who's oppressing. He's one who's amazing. Who is good news. And that as we live receiving, as we live offering... It then causes us to live a life with the king, being shaped by him, being shaped by his unfailing love. I love the fact that it says that Jesus says that he will want us to be with him, which is both now and not yet. That we get to live our lives now with him as king. Like going back to that Matthew 11 passage, you're going to think, oh yeah, I'm yoked to Jesus. I'm yoked to the king. Like, that's pretty awesome. I'm yoked to the king of everything. 
But it's not only that, that I'm with Jesus, also that one day I will see him face to face, that I will be where he is as he comes and inhabits a renewed earth, as heaven, where God dwells, invades into earth. And Jesus is revealed once for all as king of everything. And we're with him for eternity. But it's also that we get to live now knowing the Father's honor. Like Father who created everything. The honor that he gave his son, he now gives to you and to me. That he delights in us. That he loves us. I love how John 1 starts, where it says, like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and it carries on. I'm not going to recite it all. And in it, it says then what? Jesus came to do something. It says, he came to bring many children to God. That was the goal. That's what this is. That suddenly, in knowing him as king, we get to become part of the family of God and know God as our Father, one who loves and delights in us. Therefore, it causes us to say, well, okay, if this is the kind of king we're talking about, will we receive him? Will we go on receiving him, enabling him, and saying, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life? And therefore, it does feel fitting that how we end our time together today is at the table of communion. See, there are many ways that we can Take the bread and the juice, remembering so many different ways in which Jesus has transformed our life. But today I want us to do it by celebrating in the fact that the bread and the juice declare that Jesus is king. And so what I'm going to do is just invite the band back, and as they come back, I'm going to explain how we're going to do some things. Now, if you're in a home, I'd encourage you, if you've not already done it, why don't you get some uh, juice and bread together in order that you can share communion as well with us here. But as the band play, what I want us to do is just go and help ourselves to some bread and juice and take it back to our chairs in order that we can then share communion together. If you're gluten intolerant, there's some gluten-free bread on the back table, on the black table. But otherwise, why don't we stand? And in the standing, I just want us to take us a moment. It's easier to do it this way around. Uh, just to close our eyes. And with our eyes closed, I just want us to take a moment to reflect. Reflect on the wonder of who Jesus is as king. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, we come again and just say, Jesus, I receive you again as the king of my life. I just want us to just read a scripture to us that Paul wrote about what we're about to participate in. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. 
as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. As I said, there's so many ways we can approach the wonder of this meal. But today, I think it's as receiving the king. And so as we take the bread together, what we're saying is, Jesus, we receive again of you as king, the one who offered all in order that we can receive all. And as we eat, we receive again afresh of everything the king is to you and to me. So let's eat. the cup is a cup of celebration like the cup announces that Jesus as king is enough he's enough we don't need to do anything he's done it all and it promises that forever he's enough and if as we drink we're remembering he's enough He allows us to know life and life eternal, characterized by God's unfailing love. And therefore, we drink and we celebrate in the fact that Jesus is king like no other. And Jesus one day will come and reign forever, revealing the wonder of who he is as king, because he is enough. So we drink, and then we celebrate, and then we sing, you are good. Let's drink. Let's drink.